Hello, how are you? Now, with summer well and truly underway, we wanted to bring you a Leader Connect podcast that might inspire you to get out into the great outdoors. Harrison Ward is the fell foodie. He creates restaurant quality meals on a camping stove on the side of mountains, but he's so much more than that. Harrison is a recovering alcoholic who had a daily battle with his desire to no longer be alive. A walk up a mountain changed all that for him, and his story is both inspiring and completely relatable. Before we talk food, long walks, and giving up sugar, can I ask you a favour? At Leader Connect, we are on a mission to change leadership for the better, to take it from complicated and academic to simple, accessible, and easy to implement. We know that leaders are often tired, stressed, and unhappy, and they, you, don't need to be. We need you to help us create a movement. If you like this podcast, subscribe and give us a five-star review. If you want to know more about simple leadership, you can find links to our social media in the show notes. All right, let's do this podcast. I am really, really delighted to welcome to the podcast Harrison Ward, otherwise known as the Fell Foodie. Now, I'm deeply excited about this one because Harrison is really passionate about two things that I'm also incredibly passionate about walking and eating now i haven't managed to achieve those two things at the same time he has and we're going to explore some of the creativity around what it is that he does we live in a world now where fortunately we talk about mental ill health a lot more than we than we ever did do and i think that what's interesting with you as well is that mental health and men is something that we definitely didn't talk about. So can you explain your journey and, and what prompted you to get to the point where you felt that you needed to change your life? Yeah, absolutely. As you say, I think it's certainly sort of come more to the forefront in recent years with more people speaking out about their issues, which is fantastic. And if it's to do, so sort of release that stigma and to get other people talking, not always publicly. I always think it's, I mean, I'm a big advocate for talking, but I don't always think you've got to share your story out there to the world. I mean, just more to people closely around you is important. But for myself, I guess, I mean, I first became apparent to maybe this, what I now know to be clinical depression, back when I was a teenager, sort of going through sort of puberty, really. I was all of a sudden hit by this sense of sort of self-loathing, demotivation, not really wanting to be here, sort of battling sort of suicidal thoughts and, and keeping this very sort of quiet to myself, not telling anybody, no family, no friends, not wanting to become that burden to others, to bring people down. I was quite an extroverted character at the time. But these sort of elements I was suffering from, I guess, ends up sort of bringing me further down and really caused a lot of tasks that I enjoyed doing to become quite mundane and the passion sort of gets sucked out of them. I was lucky to be brought up um, in Cumbria, of course, very close to the Lady District, very close to the Bells, the Hills, but really neglected them back then, didn't really take them in at all, didn't see them anything other than just the hills that they were, really. And the closest I probably came to climbing them was maybe coffee and cake in Keswick, really. It was a, <laughs> they really weren't part of my life. And... From, from a very young age, I started working in the hospitality trade. So we're about 13, 14, initially in the back of kitchens. And at this point, I, took, I basically went through the hospitality trade, working into waiting on, and then at 18, working behind the bar. So at this point, I was obviously discovering alcohol, as many do at that sort of age. Again, it's quite sort of ingrained in British culture. And quick, quickly found it to be something that sort of escaped from these dark thoughts. I had my mind to sort of be free again from where I used to be. And I guess that Dutch courage mantra that we sort of hear 
as a term. I quite enjoyed that feeling to begin with, that sort of euphoric feeling of being there, not getting too carried away as such, but making sort of friends in that industry and after after working in that environment. But quite quickly, this became, began the sort of snowball a bit really for me. I think I became quite maybe used to that sensation, enjoying that sort of freedom I was getting from it, therefore seeking it more and more. By the age of sort of 19, I moved away to university in York. And by this point, I was regularly sort of drinking daily at this point, really. So I was, I was, I was working a lot more shifts in the pub environment, also heading out a lot more after work and sort of drinking sort of quite, quite sort of high figures at the time, maybe sort of, maybe sort of 10 pints a day I was probably drinking at this point there when I went to university. Hitting the sort of freshest week mentality, which for those that don't know is everyone coming together for the first time at university, everyone meeting each other, all basically a, boo- a booze fueled networking event, shall we say, for two weeks. And, and, and I live in that, that kind of awe now of going, I can't believe we did this, but we used to have those drink the bar dry things where it was actually a badge of honour to do exactly that, drink the bar. Absolutely. I think there's an element as well, I mean, certainly on the male side of things, has been that bravado of being sort of a heavy drinker, sort of someone can handle the drink. I mean, it's quite a statement to be made. You don't want to be sort of the lightweight amongst your group of friends. I certainly wasn't. But when this university began to sort of take off, I guess, I quickly found myself back in the hospitality trade, finding work in a local pub in the area too. But by this point, really, I was drinking for eight different reasons. Once that sort of two-week sort of freshest period finished, I was continuing the way I had done before. And what had initially, initially been quite a medicinal aspect for me, this drinking, clearing those thoughts, sort of sedating the darkness, had really sort of tumbled into becoming more of a poison now. So quite by now, I was continuing to higher levels. My studies fell by the wayside. I went full-time into the pub environment and quite quickly became that sort of kid in a sweet shop. If you were living in at the time as well. So it was living and breathing sort of booze with it at the time. But just sort of existing, channeling through this lifestyle I was leading. Now, on my 21st birthday, I had a lot of friends come to visit me from, from various areas, come to visit me for, again, another celebration. Again, another booze-fueled uh, <laughs> milestone, as it were. And one by one, they started to go home again after this sort of celebration. And quite quickly, it was dawning on me that I was going to be alone in this city once again. I mean, my best mates at this point were probably barmen and takeaway owners so that's what says it all at the time and this feeling of sort of being so alone in the city once again whilst walking home one night probably three four in the morning don't recall too much of the conversation but I actually made a call home to my mum with one intention really and that was just to say goodbye I felt as if I could no longer go on at this point I've been suffering sort of from these elements for about good seven years by this point all in silence managing it the way I felt I could again this sort of sedation tool but this was no longer having the effect it was it was initially having. So by, by now, my tolerance was, was extremely high. I was regularly drinking in excess of 20 pints a day. I was smoking full-time, and I ballooned in weight to about 22 stones. So it was really sort of noticeable now, sort of visually as well as internally for me. And thankfully, this didn't happen. Obviously, I didn't go through this, but I was, I was rushed back to Cumbria for sort of a week period where I did seek some sort of medical help in various bits of the time. My mum had obviously found out what I'd been going through, one close friend as well, which I was quite annoyed about, really. I was quite annoyed that I sort of slipped, let my mask slip and, and allowed this to be discovered. My secret, if you will, that I was just sort of not wanting to put on anybody else. But I wasn't willing to make that change. I think there's so many do, changes are difficult to go through, and I wasn't willing to make that change at the time. So I took myself back to York and carried on exactly the way I had been doing for the last sort of four years. So again, all the way up to 2016, Drinking, drinking to daily, these levels, ridiculous levels, really. I mean, really washing my teeth with the stuff in the morning, drinking at work, after work, just my sole focus. And 
during this point, I've somehow found myself, again, a girlfriend at this point, something I'd always sort of strive for, I guess, in relationships, want to share sort of adventures with, sort of memories, various bits. But unfortunately, I was already in a relationship at the time. I was in a relationship with alcohol. And the two sort of didn't go hand in hand too well. They didn't merge too much in the early days. I, I worked very different hours. She worked more nine to five hours. But it was certainly still there, having a big effect now on people around me, even though I was, I was seeing this still as me not being a burden. But by now, this is leaching to everyone. This sort of dissolvent substances now affect everything around me. And on one particular night, sort of again, about a year and a half into the relationship, we were sort of having more and more arguments about my sort of particular lifestyle. And one particular night, I went out on the town that evening and I was unfaithful to my partner, uh, which was discovered, uh, and rightfully so, was the end of that relationship. And really at this point, it, it was, a, it was a, the 6th of June 2016 was the date. And it was a huge moment for me, really, of just not knowing what I'd gone through. But by no means blaming the alcohol for this, it was completely me. But it wasn't me. I felt as if I'd become someone I wasn't by this point. I, qualities I held very highly in myself, sort of loyalty and sort of care for others had now been compromised. And this want of activity of literally just trying for me to just exist and carry on and not be that burden on others was now affecting many other people's lives. And it was really at this point that I came to terms with the fact that I'd become an alcoholic and that something had to change. Now, initially, I guess this was out of love for the partner. I did try to sort of win her back from these buds, but I vowed to be alcohol on that day, the 6th of June, 2016. Put my last pack of cigarettes in the bin and up sticks and left this city behind. I mean, a city I'd lived in for seven years, didn't say goodbye to anybody. I just left my job, my girlfriend, my flats, and moved back to Cumbria, you know, where I'm originally from. And for the first time in my life, I was completely open at this point with what I'd been suffering from. I played it, I played it all online on my personal Facebook to friends and family and said, this is why I've left your, this is what I've been going through for the last many years. And, and my problems with alcohol were really well I was trying to do. And the support I received back from this was just hugely empowering, hugely supportive, and, and something I really struggled to repay, really. But this started off the, the start of, of the next step of the journey. That's like a ginormously brave thing to do, is that just to literally go from one thing to completely the polar opposite where you up and leave everything. But then having gone from, and some of me understands this, when you have mental health challenges, the the desire to not burden anybody with it is so huge. And to have gone from from that and to to then changing your life, but then also telling everybody in such an open way it's huge, isn't it, really? So how did that feel going through that process of, of putting everything out there and, and, and just, I suppose, unburdening yourself with it? It was, it was daunting, I suppose. It was, it, was, it was quite a scary period, but, I, but I'd also completely hit, hit rock bottom by this point, really. I'd become someone I knew I fiercely wasn't. And again, by hurting someone I loved a lot at the time, it was something that really, I didn't know where else I had to go. And, and really, I was just completely trying to, Make my, my, my words weren't really hitting. So I had to sort of prove of actions, I guess, that sort of way that I, that I meant what I was saying. And I suppose it was that accountability and also bringing maybe others into that fold of, of basically admitting my faults in, in a way, admitting where I was, that accountability. But it was a hugely difficult period, of course, and, and one that really I probably don't recall too much of the key decisions of at the time because there was so much going on, of course. I mean, I... I'd just come off the booze from really high sort of levels of consumption, which, which isn't advisable sort of medically either, that sort of level of just stopping it. We should seek help from those sort of levels of consumption. 
again, sort of pining for sort of cigarettes again, pining for my ex or heartbreak. I even decided to give sugar for my coffee at this point just to make things a bit harder. I'm, I'm only laughing because that's crazy, isn't it? Like you've just said is I've tried to give up sugar and all of those kind of things. And we do. And sometimes it's, it's like deciding to... I'm going to take up a fitness regime. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to, I'm going to, all of those things. It's, it's been a crazy thing to do all at once, but I guess it, it explains that really you, you couldn't get any lower and you needed to do something, but yeah, giving up sugar, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Just in my coffee, I must add. I'm still, I'm still partial to the sweets every now and again. Oh, I'm doing a bit of cake. (laughs) (laughs) But absolutely, and it was very much just a period that was so hazy and so clouded um, to move to those next steps that, again, just having that complete rock-bottom moment, trying to rebuild the foundations from from where they'd crumbled beneath me, really, and having really two options, and that was sort of trying to push forward and head on or, or giving up entirely, which obviously I've tried to do in the past. And I suppose upon sharing this sort of where I was struggling with, what I've, what I've been going through, friends started turning up on my doorstep with various sort of activities, again, non-related sort of alcohol-related activities, sort of heading out for a walk, cycling, up into the gym. And one particular friend turned on my doorstep and said, we're going to go on a hike. And I didn't have anything to hand at the time. I didn't really, again, I didn't embrace the fells, even though it was just up the road. I was literally maybe 20 miles from the lake district north. And I put all my hand to hand at the time, which was an old pair of swim shorts, I think, a jumper I used to wear down the pub on a Friday, and some shoes that had less grip than a bowling, most pair of bowling shoes. It was not a good look. But again, I was completely penniless by this point too. And I'd blown all my money, sort of credit cards maxed out, overdrafts, paying the last time I rent. Uh, didn't have anything to my name. And on the way to the Lake District, he, he pulled this pair of boots off the off the side on the display, placed them on the counter and bought me this pair of boots. Again, it was a huge show of support at the time. And then pulled me up to this at the base of Blaine Catherine, the Lake District, which is one of the high mountains in the area. I like that he, he, he didn't just take you to a little one. He was like, well, we're going right up there. In, in in this new pair of boots in your swim shorts. Absolutely. Baptism of fire is straight in. But I guess at the time, I mean, I was I was so clouded, so hazy, but so determined to make this change as well that really there wasn't any other solution for me. It wasn't a case of couldn't stop. So, again, although this felt so there really, I mean, I lived a life of lethargy for about seven years. I mean, I hadn't done any exercise whatsoever. I mean, I was grossly overweight, still sort of chest problems from the cigarettes, I guess, and really heavy head, pounding, cold sweats from the booze, and all of a sudden getting front watch at the side of this mountain. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't remember too much of the actual journey up, but I remember being slow and steady and just getting to the top and him turning to me and just saying, right, we're doing the same again next week. And that was it, the start of the journey. So next week, again, we pulled up the base of another mountain, the Lake Helvellyn, the third highest mountain in England, and front watched again up this 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 side from Filmy, which is a very steep sort of slope stone staircase all the way up to the summit and it felt quite a lot what I was going through at the time that sort of uphill struggle that sort of physical manifestation of me having to push through not knowing what was ahead pushing through that sort of pain barrier to a bit having two options to get to head down and give up or just to keep going to the top and upon reaching that summit again it was a glorious day like we're having today and there was just a fantastic spectacle from above we're not always blessed with those views but I think that certainly made a difference on that day and just seeing sort of red time below and striding edge, it just really sparked this new sort of addiction in me. And something that I've carried on from that day, I mean, from that months later, I was off to down in Wales doing Snowden. I think a couple of months after that was Ben Nevis. I then started swapping my hiking boots for running trainers. And again, I, I vowed I'd never do a run. I mean, I couldn't run a bath. Honestly, it was, it was <laughs> it's ridiculous. And um, 
little bit sort of 1K became 2, became 5, became 10, and then I was somehow convinced to decide to run a marathon. And there we are, 11 months later, from this moment of being pretty much asleep on the bar stool every night, to, to the line, line up at a marathon and running around Windermere. And it was just a huge moment of, of redemption and change and shows what is possible in a year, that change that is possible. And and for me, something I could never have imagined. I, I would literally laugh you out the pub if you just said I've been doing these things. So it was yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal change. It must have been so bizarre to see from the outside as well, just such a dramatic change and, and, and literally overnight, like a light switch. And, and that really is it. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? So so when I talk to people about changing their, their lives, I often recommend something called micro habits. So, so someone will say to me, look, I feel like I want to start running or, or walking or, or, or whatever it is. And I'll say, well, OK, so so don't say to yourself, right. I'm going to, my first goal is to run a marathon because that feels crazy. Sometimes I just say to them, look, get your trainers on, lace them up and see what happens. And and, and then the next day, put your trainers on and and, and just walk around the block. So it's these kind of small bite-sized chunks. But actually, there's another side to that where we actually do set ourselves challenges that we can't back out on. So like you said, you'd got a mate and you were going to have to get to the top of the mountain. And once you've got to the top of it, you've got to come down. So there's those two polar opposite ways of absolutely changing your life. And I think it depends on your personality, really. And I was going to ask you whether or not you felt that that actually you you were always destined to do what it is that you're you're doing now to to go into the hills to do to do these quite physically challenging things. But maybe you had to go through this period of real darkness. They say that in order to start your life, your original life has to fall apart. And I've paraphrased that quote. Whether or not you felt that maybe you had to go through that in order to find where it is that you are now. I think, I think yes. I think I have had that moment of times. I remember the realisation and the fact that sometimes you think that, <clears throat> would you change anything? Would you go back? Was there any regrets on that for you? For me, as much as maybe there's elements in there, of course, the hurts I place on others, obviously I'd like to take back, but hopefully over time that's been sort of maybe redeemed and I've seen sort of apology for uh, and, and has been granted really upon this done this change. So that's been been something that's nice to have restored. But generally it's, yeah, I've, I don't think I would. I think what I've gained over that time, what I've learned to that point, it has been felt like it's become a bit of a purpose for me as well in terms of sharing my story to others. These days, I speak quite regularly about my story. I've, I've gone to sort of schools and sort of corporate events or hosts and plenty of podcasts and elements, and especially online as well. And again, it's very much a feeling that if, if my story can help one other person, it makes my struggles more worthwhile. And it's it's something that, yeah, if I can be that voice for the voiceless, then then that really does feel like a bit of a purpose that I didn't really have before. I didn't really know what I was. I was floating through, just existing, not sure where I was going, wanted to be here. And... Yeah, I mean, people often ask what you'd say to your younger self at times. And again, whatever I said, probably would have fell on deaf ears. I mean, it's quite a stubborn, a stubborn chat back then. But <laughs> but ultimately, I think I had to say the word stay. Because for so long, I didn't want to be here. And, and every day I was sort of battling through that sort of thing. And I think just saying the word stay, knowing what was to come at the other end, yeah, would have been, would have been hard to believe, really. That one word is in, in, incredibly powerful, isn't it? Just stay. And it, it has so much meaning, staying the course of where it is that you want to go. But when you put it into the the kind of context of either being here or not being here, it's an incredibly powerful word. 
And I think that we we talk about in the Leader Connect world, we talk about having this clear and compelling purpose, about the leader having a clear and compelling purpose for for their team, for the for the mission, for the business, whatever it is. But then also I believe really strongly in in us having a very clear and compelling purpose for our lives. And I've got to be honest, for me, I think I always knew what mine was. I remember when I was I was four years old saying to my mum that I wanted to work in some kind of entertainment industry. And but I don't think it was until I was 44 now. And I think I suddenly realized that actually what mine is is to use my voice to to enable people to get their messages across. I wonder if you now have a clearer idea of what your clear and compelling purpose is. I think, as, as I touched upon there, I think certainly so. I think it's it, it's becoming that sort of element. I think if sometimes, I mean, I, I spoke before about sort of reaching out, talking to others, but the fact that not having to talk publicly, bringing it out publicly can bring other elements too. Of course, there are still stigmas around on mental health and depressions, alcoholisms, and I think especially from a male perspective. So even becoming publicly, it can become a bit of a target for these things sometimes and slightly experiencing still, still the stigma that it does exist. So that side of things, I guess, can sometimes be something you have to be aware of and to manage. But again, for me, it feels that the fact that I am out there with this sort of stuff now and do talk about it, if I, if I take a bit of that flack on the way sort of thing, that, that, that in the way, in the whole general purpose of, of sort of mental health stigma and mental health awareness, something I can deal with. So again, that's sort of me. I, I'm able to deal with that sort of me. I'm able to speak about it publicly now. Maybe can articulate my feelings and how they used to be. Perhaps others, others that may be going through a very similar thing can't verbalise it as well. So if that then does become a purpose and it feels like it has done, to be fair, then yeah, it's something I'm, I'm very proud to be able to do and very willing to be able to do as well. So yeah, hopefully that continues and I can, again, spread that sort of story further into sort of schools and bits and out there and, and try and help some other people that struggle. Absolutely. Can we talk about food in a minute? Because I really like food. I think you might really like food. And oddly enough, my stomach has started to rumble just at the thought of it. But before we do that, can we do the bit in the middle of the podcast that I like to call the sandwich? And there you can see my obsession with eating because I've called a bit in the podcast, the sandwich, your favorite walk of all time. Not quick, quite. That's not a quick fire one, is it? Depends on who it's with, the where, where it's about. But I, I guess, I mean, the likes of Blaine, Catherine, Hellbell, they have to be up there because of the first ones that, that, that started off this journey. Hellbell I've done many a time, but get quite a, a popular amount on the weekends. So I probably do avoid it a bit when it gets to this sort of time of the year. But otherwise, the spectac- spectac- spectacular views you can get from some of them when you use the can really hold stead too. So Fleetwood Pike is another big favourite in Buttermere. Or favourite field, even the likes of sort of Trifan in Wales, it was a fantastic climb. It had a brilliant scramble at the top. It was very icy conditions when I went up there, but just a beautiful, beautiful route. And getting sort of hands on, hands on rock, as they say, and getting to the top of that mountain was there. It was another one. But they're all pretty special for different reasons. Like you said, it is so often it's the company that you're with, it's where you are at the moment. I have cried on the top of many mountains for many, many reasons. And for, for that reason, often they're those. Those mountains are particularly memorable to me. Right. The one ingredient we should all have in our cupboards slash rucksack. <laughs> one ingredient. What do we include as an ingredient here? We could salt and pepper not included in oil. I don't imagine. No, well, you can include salt and pepper if you want, but that's a bit dull. <laughs> well, I've got to go equally as dull. I'll probably say an onion then. Probably I'll say that. So that's the base of many things to get it. You've got to build these foundations from the back. So I think 
starting starting with something that's going to be able to build a dish from to integrate that flavor takes on spices quite well yeah there's there's i think there's far more recipes that start with an onion that don't so i'd, I'd go with that perhaps it's maybe a boring more practical answer but that's going to be my answer no, I, I like that. I mean, I was going to say smoked paprika. I was having a conversation with another mum at the sports day yesterday. That was the highlight of my day yesterday about the benefits of smoked paprika in everything. Right. Have you a single tune that always motivates you when you don't feel motivated? Like a, like a power tune. Mm-hmm. I, I had a few of these on my playlist at the time. It was very much a, a big sort of 80s montage. I think there was a I wasn't even. I didn't even see the eighties, but that was the one that powered me through. I think on the on the walks. But I think it would be anything from probably the Rocky Four soundtrack. I think would have probably do it for me. So maybe something like Burning Heart or Eye of the Tiger, perhaps. Burning Heart is a good tune for me. It's ACDC Thunderstruck, and also I listened to something the other day, and apparently that's Prince William's favorite tune too. Who would you most like to go on a walk with? living or otherwise you could choose anybody anyone from history or in your life it's a difficult one to answer i think it's 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 there's no one i particularly put on a pedestal in life i don't really idolize anybody i don't sort of look look ahead to one particular person likewise i I don't i don't agree with doing that sometimes i think because everyone has their moments of mistakes and moments of sort of falling down so again definitely in the sort of the world of sobriety i mean i've i've celebrated sort of six years sober quite recently from that day we spoke about earlier but I'm always still one drink away. So again, even if you put me on that pedestal, someone that was maybe lower down on their journey, I'm just as close to failing as they are. So I sometimes don't don't really believe in that sort of putting, putting on that pedestal type of things. I, I generally just enjoy sort of, I suppose, deciphering people and seeing what they're about and where they've come from. So I suppose, it, would, would I be sort of destined to walk with this person every day for the rest of my life? Because that, that would be a bit of a bit of a... Well, no, because, well, I mean, in, in which case that would be yourself, wouldn't it? Because we all walk that, oh gosh, we all walk that journey. We all walk that journey with ourselves every day. And, and actually, I really enjoy walking on my own with myself because I can have those difficult conversations that I need to have with myself. But But also, sorry, I'm answering your question for you. I had a brilliant walk the other day with my seven-year-old daughter and we don't often get to have those conversations. So if it was me, I'd say I'd like to walk with the people that I don't get to have conversations with on a daily basis, but I also really enjoy walking with myself. Yeah, I think I'd probably, bringing bring back to the food angle slightly, maybe, maybe I'd say my grandma then because I've, she passed away, I think when I was about maybe... 11, 11, 12-year-old, but she was basically the one that sparked off this journey with food. So cooking with her in the kitchen from a young age. I was the oldest of seven cousins. I had quite a close relationship with my grandma, first child for four years. And, yeah, I suppose maybe looking at where things have gone since then and talking that angle, that could be, thank you, well, I haven't really thought about that before, actually, but that could be quite a, quite a nice one to bring back into the fold and have to sort of someone to have the company in the hills with. Yeah, and I and I think so. And I often, in, in the same vein, I often go on walks with my mum, who is no longer here, and I'll have these conversations with her. And I know what she would say about things because she's instilled all those answers in me. And I would imagine your grandma probably did the same. So you can have those conversations without them even being there, I think. So you spend a lot of time up in the fells and in our stunning countryside here in the United Kingdom. And... I, I wanted to know what you thought we could do more of in order to preserve 
our beautiful countryside because we probably need to do a bit more of that. Yeah, it's been something that's been debated quite a lot recently, I suppose, with a lot more people discovering the outdoors. Yeah, I suppose looking back to the moments of lockdown, coming out of there with large influxes of people flooding to sort of green spaces, as you completely understand why, and rightly so. But I think ultimately there's been a lot of discussion and, and perhaps sometimes quite aggressive discussion about maybe people that are not treating the environment in, the, in maybe the, the right way. And I think some of those have maybe are completely out of negligence and maybe just sort of out of um, lack of respect. But I think the majority is down to lack of education. So I think it's always an element there of people that haven't grown up in these areas, that have come into the first time, haven't had the accessibility for green space or been out, maybe in the city living, that perhaps don't know some of the elements of maybe the countryside code and things that we have in this country. So <clears throat> just around how you act around livestock and sort of closing gates behind you and not talk about littering overflowing bins, for example, it'll just blow off and not having fires in the outdoors. I mean, I'm sort of always cooking in the outdoors, but I always use sort of camp stoves or controlled stoves, so risen off the ground to leave no trace wherever possible, just leaving only footsteps really out there. So I think moments like that, there can be people that get quite heated and get quite dismissive of maybe people who are outsiders, especially in these smaller villages where it's always those tourists and they're to blame for everything. Yeah. But again, rely so much on them in terms of the economy of these areas and the jobs we have and the houses we live in in these areas. So again, it goes goes full circle. Uh, but for me, I think it just boils down to to education to to a degree on that front. So that's what I'd say. It just educating people further and providing that. Yeah, it's about enjoyment and respect at the same time. And 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 I just wanted to ask people that are listening to take their tents home with them. That's a weird thing. People leaving their tents. <laughs> I'll never understand that. Let's talk about food. I want to understand how you've gone from um, the it, walking up a hill in your your swimming trunks to to now being where you are. How did the first stunning meal out on the ground happen, and how has how has that developed? Well, I suppose during this journey, I started online accounts, and I, and I dug myself health food at the time with a bit of an homage to where I was from. I'm very proud to be from Cumbria. And that sort of love of food that I've always had. And initially it was just me sharing basically pictures of the food I was cooking at home, not to be that person on Facebook. I did it all anonymously at first. I didn't want to be that person sharing his dinner every evening. And uh, I loved views I was experiencing in the, in the fells. So merging the two passions slightly at the time. And again, using this account, I didn't tell anybody it was me. I didn't have my name on there. I didn't show any pictures of myself. And just would head out there and enjoy different, different, different views and, I started to then take more extravagant pat lunches out in the hills with me. So things I've made the night before, some leftovers, risottos and stews. And I'd often get a lot of comments from people passing by when they got their sort of soggy cling film sandwiches out of their bag. And, <laughs> and one particular person, I think initially to be a bit of a smart salad, really, I think they said, why did he get a stove and start cooking this from scratch? And then not want to shirk the challenge. That's exactly what I did. I bought, my, bought a stove and I started marching up these hillsides, hillsides, with that equipment to prepare these meals from scratch in these environments. So initially this was just preparing stuff using kitchen equipment I had. So I was taking the ceramic plates up, I was taking all sorts of chopping boards in their full extent, bottles of oil, and gave that a pestle of mortar at one point up the hillside. And, and I'm certainly by no means a lightweight guru when it comes to packing. But it was it was again just this just this challenge aspect of trying to see what I could recreate in these elements, using sort of a single burner stove out there 
And remember, it's just for me, just a way of slowing down. Again, merging those two passions now, cooking had always been a long-standing passion. And this new passion of hiking now, just bringing the two together. So, and I felt it quite, quite mindful as well, cooking. And it was something that when I went through this particular journey, I, I started cooking a lot more from fresh again. I mean, previously in the, the drinking days, I mean, I was more likely to fall in the kebab shop at the end of the night, I think. And cooking from fresh was, again, a big part of sort of the turnaround too. Again, I always think it's, it's so important to think about what's going into your body as well as, as well as out. So you wouldn't expect to put bad fuel into a car for it to go 100 miles, for example. So again, what you put in, I think is going to improve both mental and physical well-being. <clears throat> but literally just being on the top of those mountaintops, being still, being away from sort of stresses in life and various bits and just forgetting. And just rather than rushing down or getting that treat point, getting that selfie at the top or the Strava time or, or ticking something off your list, it was just being still, preparing that food and enjoying those views, sights and sounds in nature. And this started to get a bit more traction online, I guess, when I started sharing this out with the, the fell tops and get a bit more of a following. And I suppose at this point was where I actually came clean with my initial story as well, now publicly to strangers. So I think it was my second year of sobriety. I shared exactly how I'd come from, what I'd gone through, how I'd become the person I was now, and basically revealed that mask that I'd been wearing, again, like the mask I wore in the past. Now it was an online mask under a pseudonym, and revealed that. And again, it just seemed to snowball from there into various bits, and people taking an interest in what was quite an unusual activity again never intended for it to be sort of a niche that created but it seems to have become that sort of way and that's led me to sort of go and bounce all over sort of this country not many abroad you're about to do a bit more but cooking all sorts of different dishes as a bit of a almost an ancestral homage if you will to sort of uh, where we used to be cooking over fire in the outdoors again that was more refined over the years to like underground ovens to clay ovens to kitchens and now ingredients and cuisines from all around the world that we have access to so for me, it's bringing that full circle and taking those more refined dishes now back into the outdoors and showing what's possible. But it's certainly, again, it's that challenge aspect I enjoy. I think just showing what is possible and not expecting people to always recreate what I do. But if I can inspire slightly in terms of thinking how you, how you eat food in the outdoors or the sustenance and nutrition angles that you're looking at when you are exercising, then that's, that's a win-win in my book. Anything away from the pot noodle anyway. Oh, I went away to school because my parents were in the military and I think I spent most of my childhood just surviving on pot noodles and, and the thought of them now fills me with absolute fear. Cooking is very creative. I'm hugely passionate about everybody finding, I believe that everybody's creative, whether or not that's creating masterpiece on, on canvas or, or cooking or, or singing or whatever it is. And so you obviously... Cooking is, is, is creative, whether or not you're doing that up the side of a mountain or at home in your own kitchen. And I wondered how important you felt that creativity was to people's mental health, to finding that passion that, that you can rely on, perhaps when the going gets tough, or, or just adding that extra element of something into your life that isn't work or the, the mundane tasks that we have to do every day. I think it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, actually. I think I mean, creativity, I don't have the stats at hand, but I think sort of scientifically, I think it's generally shown to be more people of a creative sort of angle, maybe sort of mental health, and maybe elements of times too. And I think maybe that's a society-based thing in terms of a lot of the, the jobs we're channeled into or that careers advice you have at school where it's literally pick one job and that's the job you're having for life. And it's, it's a scary box to be put in when you're quite a creative mind, when you're quite free-flowing and things from different angles. And 
So sometimes maybe that that, that side can be can be again that double edged sword. But generally, undoubtedly through cookie, I think it has been quite a creative outlet that I've utilised from that. I suppose now in terms of maybe the online side of things too, I always enjoyed sort of quite digital media. Did a lot of sort of filming of various bits of school and elements that point that sort of way. Um, that comes full circle to a degree. So I think it's just creating and being out there and doing new things and showcasing it and, and, and putting things together in a way. It's a bit of a, a bit like sort of a science in a way as well as cooking, isn't it? Sort of bringing things together, the recipes, how things combine, how things react in different ways. Again, the heat of the pan can vary things differently and even different sizes of perhaps molecules or ingredients can have different flavors, like garlic, for example. I mean, depends on if you just crush it or finish slice it or mince it or even completely paste it, it's going to have a different impact on the dish. So, there's all those bits in there too, and I think I was always quite good at science school as well, I guess. So maybe those elements do cater more towards that creative mindset. But as well as, as displaying that, I mean, I, I enjoy the presentation aspect too, I guess. You know, people often say, do you, do you cook like that at home? And I'm like, well, I do. That's for me. It's just me at home. I present the dish as I, as I would do it to somebody else. And I guess that's a little pick-me-up for myself at times. I think just, just serving things nice. And why should you maybe cut your corners when it's just you? You should treat yourself as well as you treat others in some ways. So... Yeah, I think there is certainly a creative aspect to it and, and one that I am embracing, one that feeds that creative outlet as well. And and I love that concept of even if, if you're at home on your own is because there is the tendency to go, and I do this quite often, oh, just beans on toast, which is great, by the way, but I love beans. But but there is a tendency just to throw stuff onto a plate and not. But but actually, I've got really into kind of setting the table properly and all of those kind of things because it is. It's about self respect, isn't it? Rather than I've stood there on the side and eaten whatever's been left over from my daughter's dinner or whatever. And actually, from a health perspective as well, that's a very very bad way to eat. And then I also want to add into that sitting and eating whilst watching the telly can be done occasionally but also that's a bad way of sitting there and eating because you're probably hurrying you're not concentrating on the eating process and the taste in the food one of my big passions is mindfulness and meditation and actually the process of eating can be a a meditative process as well and if you're watching EastEnders and eating whatever you've thrown on a plate then actually you're losing the excitement of of, of eating and the meditative experience of, of eating I wanted to ask you as well about this social media thing. So we work with a lot of leaders who are super talented about what they do. They're deeply passionate, but they really struggle with putting themselves out there. So hiding, shying away from social media, which means that their message doesn't get across. Shying away from standing up in front of people, shying away from what we're doing now, which is having a conversation and putting ourselves out there. Um, You've mentioned that that for quite some time, you, you, there was this one day where you revealed yourself and here I am, I'm, I'm the man behind all this beautiful food. How do you, how did you get to that point? And how do you deal with putting yourself out there and having those conversations and, and perhaps some of the negative sides of being on social media? Because we've all had it. I worked in broadcasting before we had social media. People used to send me nasty letters. I don't know what's worse, but... Uh, yeah, how do you deal with, with that side of it? So I remember largely, I mean, I've been quite lucky, I guess, in terms of it has been quite a positive experience from, from the start. Certainly on platforms more like Instagram, that is my main platform, has been a largely positive 
area to be on. I think that's more because it's slightly more echo chamber. I think people choose what they choose to follow. They, they choose the topics they follow on there. So you're not going to find so perhaps you're not more in line with. When I venture out more to more of sort of YouTube, Twitter, even sort of even TikTok, dare I say it more recently. And there's a very different, I suppose, response that comes to things, very more critical to some points. But it depends. I mean, at some points, I have a very strong mindset to these things, especially when I was in the sort of run up, I suppose, to this big chain. But I was, when I was going through these moments, I was quite initially very insecure about sort of what people would think on the outside and a lot of elements where I had to push through and even mentioned with the running side of things at one point I was quite overweight and I was running down the road and I was very self-conscious about maybe how people would think and, and I sort of had to get in my head really the fact that well I'm doing more than the person sat at home on the sofa so no matter how sort of fast I'm going or or how far I'm going it's more, it's more than I would be if I sat at home so again it's changing that mindset a bit and the mantra I always sort of stick by again is sort of keeping your side of the street clean as well to a degree and Letting others worry about theirs to some extent. Not not believing people, obviously, to their own device if, they're in, if they need help, but to some bits of not worrying too much about where that's come from, where that malice has come from. I think there's often insecurities behind that too when people do have these comments, but it's been largely very positive. I suppose elements do come in from time to time, but again, I think it's just water for ducks. Again, you wouldn't you wouldn't let it bother you if it was in, in real life, really. If it was just one comment on the street, or again, if it was someone honking the horn you're around about, and you've gone around that sort of way, you'd be forgotten about in seconds. But it seems to be, I think, online, that one comment is a little word that sometimes goes in your head. You have a hundred nice comments and one through it, that's the one you remember. Yeah. It's a funny, funny ethos. I mean, in terms of putting yourself out there, for me, I mean, it says initially it was quite anonymous, as I said, and it was just me sort of sharing what I was passionate about, I guess, in that sort of way, just putting it out there. And, and people do lock onto these things, whether it's in blog posts, whether it's video, or if it's still images or even sort of spoken word, I guess, like this. It, it, people do latch onto these things and find find advice or similarities or related topics in them. And as time went on, I mean, I've always just been very, very honest, I think, online. I think I've always just had a raw and honest background. I mean, initially, I used to journal quite a lot when I first went through this major change. Again, that was something that I'd never saw myself doing and probably laughing off again, male bravado, all that sort of stuff. But I found that a very sort of healing process. But when social media started, I started to use that more. I didn't really use it before. About a year in, it sort of naturally became a bit of an online journal for me as well. So I was now basically having a journal that was public in a way. And, I, and that's very much how I write online. I don't filter anything out sort of thing. I very much just share what I'm going through. And and I suppose it depends who, you, who you're doing it for as well. I mean, if you're trying to account for other people all the time, I think you maybe lose your own message. I think sometimes you're just putting out your side of things to that element and, and seeing who who takes on a similar mantra, I guess, in a way, and they're, they're building that community as it goes along. But I think it's a hugely powerful tool, I think, to other leaders out there as well. I think you share their message, and even if it's just smaller groups in terms of their work groups and things, there's some great forums which you can have on there, just to even share resources and things, that sort of shared resources and pools of knowledge, videos or articles you've read and things. That, that, that is where the beauty, I think, of social media comes in. And the networking aspect, too, is fantastic. I mean, LinkedIn's a great platform, I find especially in this space too, anyone you've met at that point, sometimes we do forget, sometimes who people are, where people have gone and where people work, but they try not to, and of course you wouldn't admit to that at times, but having a platform like that is, is like an online address book, it's brilliant. And when they move jobs, you see where they've gone to, and it creates that little spark again to bring things on. So, and to share maybe lessons you've learned from there too, that there'll, there'll definitely be people who take things from that and take things further forward. But I think it's just being your true and authentic self online, not being fake, not trying to be somebody else and not try to be selling, selling a fake dream, really. 
And and you're so right. Being authentic, but also knowing what your purpose is and having that clear and compelling purpose. I'm a big believer in in good versus evil. Maybe it's a Star Wars thing. I don't know. But I, I think that if what you're doing is absolutely driven by a passion and by this purpose, then I, I it's almost like that the bad stuff kind of bounces off you to a certain extent. So and and clearly you you've got this vision and this purpose and this reason for doing what what you do and I feel the same about what I do. So when the bad stuff comes, we sail through it because we believe so strongly in what it is that we're doing and I I think that all leaders when you're thinking about pushing yourself out there and standing up in front of people if you believe in yourself and what you're doing, then life just becomes that much easier, doesn't it? So what is next with a fell foodie? What are we going to see coming up and a book maybe? Well, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, I would love to be able to sort of have the opportunity, be it my sort of personal journey or be it sort of the cookbook side of things too. And there have been, has been some discussions, I suppose, behind the scenes at various bits, nothing quite over the line just yet, but um, I think I can safely say at some point it'll probably happen, whether it's whether it's me taking things to my own hands and, and sort of self-publishing and getting it out there again believing in that sort of purpose you put behind yourself and just putting it out there. I'm lucky to have a bit of an audience myself these days, so there potentially is a market there for doing it that sort of way as well. But if someone wanted to back that further, then that would be fantastic as well. Otherwise, I mean, it's a difficult one. I mean, I often get asked what you want to see see ahead. And I very much live by the mantra sort of one day at a time, really, which is a mantra that comes from the sort of sobriety world. I didn't fall too well into some of the sobriety support groups, didn't quite identify with them, but that mantra definitely sat with me. And... For so long, I didn't want to be here, not not to exist. Everything sort of feels a bit like it's it's sort of bonus in a way. I don't know to some extent, so I don't really take too much for granted. I feel lucky to be what I'm doing now. Turn a bit, sharing that story out there, joining different fell tops, different fell top meals, having the chance to share my story further. I was very lucky to go on national television in December as well on the BBC, which is a fantastic moment, a full turnaround to share the story and my love of fell top cooking out there to a big audience. So of course, I'd love to do more of that if that came about. But again, as with anything in life, I suppose these things aren't guaranteed. But there's plenty more out and about sharing my story. I've got a little retreat I'm planning later in the year in Scotland, hopefully getting a few other people out there to, to experience what I see through that. So cooking away in the wilderness, some hill hiking, some camping out all together, which would be fantastic. But generally, yeah, there's some exciting little projects of, of, of cooking bits up and hopefully inspiring more people to get out there and, and enjoy some good food in the great outdoors. Well, do you know what? We are so glad that you're here. And the only thing I want to ask is, can I go and get can I go and get something to eat now? Because this has been too much for me and my stomach is still rumbling. Harrison, thank you so much. And let's let's make this happen. Let's make a recipe book happen. Because I'll be putting it in my little rucksack and I'll be marching up the hills with an onion and some smoked paprika. So now you know what to pop in your rucksack for your next troll. Might I also recommend a waterproof alongside your onion? Have you read the leadership book? It's the perfect companion to the podcast and it will look amazing on your sun lounger this summer. With hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon, it's the leadership guide you will keep coming back to time and time again because it's leadership wisdom that works.